Hello everybody, this is Lucia Kleštincová again, your host of Lights on Europe. The fact that I have a bit sicker voice than normally is not gonna stop us from sharing another episode of Lights on Europe with you, right? So, at the occasion of the 9th of May, celebrations of foundation of the European Union, I've invited as our guest William Parker Jenkins, who's the communication manager at the House of European History. That is a very unique museum presenting the narrative of history of 50 European countries. So listen to his uh, story of how he went from being a criminal lawyer to helping build the narrative of this museum and how they go about presenting phenomena that range from extremism, world wars, gender equality, all the way to withdrawal of his home country, United Kingdom, from the European Union. And last but not least, you will also find out how you yourselves can contribute to the collection with the objects that for you are a great representation of the European history. Hi Will, thanks for accepting the invitation. Thanks for having me, Lucia. So we are here in the House of European History, which is a very unique museum, both from the perspective of Brussels and European Union, and I assume also from the perspective of the global museum cultural theory. So tell us why was it born and what does it actually say as a story? Sure. This is a one-of-a-kind museum. There's no other museum in the world that takes a multi-country perspective. We take a helicopter view, a pan-European view of what's happened throughout European history and where are we going. So, so to start with, how do we define Europe to start to, as a first question? Because you've told me the other day that it's not the EU. That's right. It's the whole of Europe, the European continent. So it includes Russia, Moldova, Norway. It's the 50 countries in the European continent. So we take the bigger definition. And when, when does the European history start? In fact, we start way back with the myth of Europa, who was a goddess who was abducted by Zeus and her brother, uh, Cadmus, who was Phoenician, went across Europe to find her and he took the Phoenician alphabet with, her, with him. So in fact, there is no starting point. It's a very common question. What's the date you start? We start with the myth, basically, of Europa. And this goddess figure uh, can be seen all the time, even currently, uh, as a way of describing or showing Europe. And unfortunately, we've just been through another milestone of the European history, which is uh, the withdrawal of one of our member states. So while, as most of us could have guessed, the museum goes through the entire history and it's very detailed in outlining what is uh, the European integration story and how we've basically been growing and deepening European Union. How did you deal with the story of the withdrawal? Right. Um, so the focus of the museum is on the integration period after the Second World War. We couldn't fit all of European history and all the countries that are involved in that. So we had to focus. And it's on the integration period uh, from 1945 to today. And the museum looks at why some countries came together why they pooled resources, why they gave up some of their sovereignty uh, to make the EU, and other countries didn't. And that's okay, we're not making a value judgment. The idea behind the museum is to make a physical location for young people and, well, all citizens to explore this about why some countries came together. Now, specifically uh, with the Brexit, we've been 
collecting objects on this and on other, other referendums. You know, Norway had a referendum as well. So we collect objects all of the time and uh, some of them are displayed to show what's happening for within current European uh, history. So Brexit is part of our sixth floor uh, in a way and it's an area called accolades and criticisms. What does the word accolade mean? Yeah, so it's praise, basically. Okay. So we try to, again, always look at both sides of the story. The EU has got some great praise. It won the Nobel Peace Prize, for example, at the same time. And the model, the model medal yeah. is displayed in the museum. Exactly right. Uh, along with other things, other objects, which show this narrative of the EU project doing well, On the other hand, there's criticism and, uh, for example, the Euro crisis, that was a, a challenge for the EU. Uh, Brexit, again, there some issues aren't, um, citizens don't feel that they're, they're getting what they need. We try to explore all of this in the museum. And so the story displayed in the museum is a living story, just like the story of European integration is a story that's unfolding together with us. So tell us a little bit more about how did you go about designing this story because I feel it must have been a rather challenging process both from the perspective of history and theory of arts but also probably politics and how do you strike the balance between a displaying different member states and different countries that play important role in, in the EU but also how do you reconcile different versions and different stories of the European history that each of the member states have about the events that happened? Right. Again, it's not just the member states, it's all the countries yes, in Europe. Yes, see, I keep on forgetting, yes. No problem at all. Um, so, it's a narrative-based museum. So, we use narratives which have objects to support them. These narratives, the content, if you will, was chosen by an independent team. So, we had to bring in experts from all around uh, Europe. And it's balanced between East and West Europe, different disciplines, sociology, museology, uh, etc. And this team had to make these narratives to explore European history. And they had three criteria. So, it had to be for for the content it had to be a phenomenon or an event that started in one country well one European country that spread to multiple European countries and is still valid today that's how we choose what goes in the, the museum content so it's taking this pan-european helicopter view and looking at what has spread between multiple European countries that still affects us today Now, if we go a level deeper, there's several techniques that the museum uses uh, to allow people to really explore and challenge their opinions on what does it mean to be European. So, one of the things we talk about a lot is shared memory. Now, if all Europeans are affected by these European phenomena and we have a shared past, that means we have a shared future as well. So, this is the goal of the museum, is to get people active and uh, interested in the future direction of Europe. Another interesting theme in the museum which helps people question their, their ideas about Europe and what it means to be European is the concept of center and gravity. Where is the center of Europe? Where, what does it mean to be at the heart of Europe? In fact, this idea of Europe has it speeds up. In some places, Europe is happening quickly. For example, London, Rome, Constantinople, Brussels. Uh, and then other people feel far away from that. 
So this idea of Europe as a continent is is moving, it's shifting, uh, the center is moving all the time. It's very much alive. And this is one of the things we want people to explore in the museum. So I would like to come back to what you've described before, the concept of taking a helicopter view of phenomena which continue having effects until now. Can you give us a couple of examples so that we have a better idea of what is it that you're displaying and how? Well, after World War One and Two, Europe was destroyed completely. Um, what we see through the integration process is that countries couldn't handle things by themselves. So we had the environmental issues uh, with nuclear Uh, issues in the 70s. We had uh, gender rights also in the 70s, reproductive rights for women. Um, now these were things that were coming up in individual countries but to solve them they needed to, countries needed to work together to compromise uh, at a European or pan-European level. Um, another good example is 1989, the fall of communism. Now this affects multiple countries you can't say it's like dominoes. Many people say it's like dominoes. The Berlin Wall came down and then communism fell, or communist regimes fell in multiple countries. It's not quite as simple as that. And we go into it in a lot more detail. There were commonalities in some countries, but well, if we take Czechoslovakia, the fall of communism was peaceful, more or less. Whereas in Romania, sadly, it was brutal and there was death. So what impact does that have today? What's the hangover from the fall of communism? That's one of the areas we, we'd look at uh, in particular. You have a special link to Czechoslovakia because your partner is Czechoslovak in a sense. Do you have a special feel for some parts of the museum where it's closer to your heart and you would have this special attachment or control over how the objects are selected and displayed and you enjoy them more and you show them more to your friends who are visiting? Exactly right. Um, a good example, uh, well, there's objects from all of the European countries and you can have a tour that just focuses on one country, basically, or the objects from one country, but we try to make a, a big overview. From Czechoslovakia, one of the things I really like is a set of keys. In this fall of communism section, we have the keys that people would shake to say that it's okay to come out of your house. The communism regime is uh, over. Yes, many of us remember shaking those keys in the streets when we were, I mean, I was a little girl, but most of our parents were those ones fighting for the freedom. Exactly. So uh, a set of keys from the fall of communism is very nice, uh, or, well, touches part of me. Um, I very much like communism versus capitalism. So what we look at is uh, the rebuilding process. And we have, on the one hand, this rise of two superpowers, the Soviets and the US and the West. And we put them side by side. And looking, a lot of people say this, and I feel it as well, when you look at life under communism versus life under capitalism, communism looks aesthetically slightly better. The healthcare, basically the things that you are given, you know, you, you're protected, you have, uh, well, um, a lot of things, but the state has more of an active part in your life. Whereas on the capitalism side, it, all, it looked slightly gray and machine-like. There were factories churning things out. So when you put these parts of European history side by side, um, a lot of people say aesthetically, uh, 
the communist regimes in some ways looked more colourful, more creative. Maybe that's just in our museum. You'll have to look for is yourself. Is that the message we wanted to pass? No, the message is for people to decide what they prefer. Would you prefer to have more uh, of a safety net from the state? So you get a house, you get a job, you get healthcare, but you have less choice. Or would you rather have no safety net, but you have more choice. You can get more stuff. You can buy what you want. What's the right balance? That's the idea behind that section, is to get people engaged and, and look at what it used to be like, what it's like now, what do they prefer. And so much of it is obviously represented through little pieces, little items, uh, products that were, some of it, or I don't know if all of it, was donated and collected uh, by people from all these countries that you're covering. So tell us a little bit about how the process worked and if it's still possible to donate items for the museum. Mm. Uh, well, first of all, it's absolutely possible to donate certain items that are relevant today. So we have a collecting action at the moment on Brexit. So we are taking uh, scarves, speeches with people's notes in the sides, uh, special signs, etc. We're always collecting things that will be relevant in the future. They don't automatically get displayed, but they can become part of our collection. And uh, we have a very good Czech curator, who I think you know, who uh, is part of that collecting action. Um, in terms of how did we get the collection, it's interesting. Usually, museums start with a collection and then they have a building afterwards to house this collection. We went the other way around. We had the building first here in Brussels in Park Leopold and then we had to find the collection afterwards. And it's from a, a mix of sources from I think approximately 300 different museums lent objects from their collection. Uh, the other way was that we purchased certain items. The other way was things were donated. They were given to us for free. So this was a huge task. We have, I think, one and a half thousand objects on display in the permanent exhibition from these three different groups. I'm now still thinking about what you've said, that you're running the collection for Brexit. You are a Brit, so I'm thinking, how does it make you feel? Because your job is, is great. Um, I think you're lucky to have been part of this project from the beginning, and it's almost you're enabling Europeans to understand and educate them to appreciate the value of the EU and now obviously it's been very painful for all of us the past years those of us who've been involved in the process and those of you who have been living and are living through the consequences so how does it make you feel? Disappointed in a word um, mainly for the future generations for the future generations of young people that won't have the same freedoms that we have had that we take advantage of today freedom of movement the ability to take a job in any of the member states the ability to study easily this won't be available for the next generation and that's absolutely heartbreaking and it's not focused on enough for me the brexit happened and this i'm speaking just personally here the brexit happened because of national policies in the uk these weren't EU policies that people were angry about. There was uh, a large amount of inequality in the UK among people and they were angry at that. And this has happened, you know, for many, many years down, back to the 70s. People were looking for an outlet or somewhere to blame. And unfortunately, it came out in, uh, in this vote. 
But it wasn't really a vote about the EU. It was a vote about the inequality within the UK. So I wonder to which degree did this narrative impact your decision to apply for the job at European institutions and ultimately move to Brussels? You are a criminal lawyer and you were supposed to work with the UK police. So I think that's a rather long stretch to shift the carriers to this extent and also uh, to shift the continents that you're working on. So what's the story behind your job? Right. I always wanted to work in the police. I wanted to do something socially useful. Um, that's why I studied law and criminal law. Unfortunately, when it came time to join the police, having done all these tests, there was a shift in government from Labour to Conservative, from left to right during the 2008 financial crisis. And all the funding was slashed. So I was basically I didn't have a job <laughs> after many years of training and preparing. Uh, so I took a one-way ticket to Brussels and the first job I could find was in a communications agency. Now there were some parallels between law and communications. You spend a lot of time writing content or making arguments through content. So there was an overlap. Uh, I've been here about 10 years. It's absolutely brilliant. I recommend everyone becomes more interested in working at the European institutions, even if it's just for a stage or just to come and visit. One of the issues from the UK perspective, I never knew about the internship uh, system. I never knew what the College of Europe was and pe some people would go there to do a master's. So the UK as an island was quite isolated from this EU process. And I think that's a shame. I only turned up here randomly, basically. I studied a bit of French at school. I had a friend who was working here. So it was basically coincidence and good luck that brought me here. Um, but I, I think it's a, an amazing place. Brussels, Strasbourg, Luxembourg. There's so many opportunities, particularly for young people to work at a pan-European level. And so now, do you want to tell us a little bit more what is exactly your role in the museum? Mm, certainly. So I've been working in communications for the last 10 years in Brussels, uh, both for private sector, uh, trade associations and the public sector. It's um, a very good time to work in communications. People want content all the time. They love looking at their smartphones, their desktops. Uh, they want information. Um, so as the communications manager, We have several streams where we can engage with citizens. Uh, one of the things we have is a website in 24 languages, including Slovak and Czech, of course. Uh, and just to mention the museum itself, you have a tablet and tour uh, that will give you a tour in Czech and Slovak as well. So we have our website, we have our social media channels. We do a lot of media relations. So journalists want to talk about anniversaries or commemorations that are important both for their country and at the European level. So they want to come and film or interview people such as curators to get more information. We also have a lot of heads of state coming. So yeah, you had this cool dinner visit happening of the three presidents recently. Yeah, it was four, four presidents. Four. Uh, so who are the four? 
It was Christine Lagarde uh, from the ECB. European Central Bank? Yeah, uh, Charles Michel, the new president of the European Council, Ursula van der Leyen uh, from the European Commission, and David Sassoli from the European Parliament. Must have been quite an experience to organize all of this. It's incredible, but it's interesting that they chose our museum to... It was partly to commemorate the uh, Lisbon Treaty anniversary, but partly to kick off their mandates, their new set of five years in their institutions, and they all came together. So it's an interesting location for them to choose. And so for those of those people listening to us who would be interested to visit the museum, obviously we invite them to go to check out the website of the House of the European History, where they can see what this is all about in their own languages, check out the social media, and they can all plan the visits in the museum, right? So can you tell us a little bit more how the groups can organize themselves if they, if they want to have a bit more qualitative experience of the museum? Mm, certainly. I, I wish I'd mentioned as well, we had your former uh, president from Slovakia, Kiska. Ah, yes? Yeah, he came as well uh, for, for a tour uh, to explore things from a Slovak perspective. Uh, it was really incredible. He had some very interesting, uh, well, perspectives. So, uh, Do you remember anything he said? He, so for these high-level ones, I'm just there taking photos, basically, <laughs> for our social media. It's the director of the museum, Constanza Itzel, who gives the tour. I'm just kind of hanging around in the background. Okay, so what, pe what can people do? Well, we're open every day, basically. Uh, entrance is completely free. We can come as a group. You can come as an individual. You don't need to book if you're coming as an individual, uh, but you can book in advance and get a guided tour in four languages if you're a group of 10 or more. Or you can use this tablet device. So we've really invested a lot in this tablet, which gives you special tours around the museum in any one of the 24 EU languages. I really appreciate it, especially when I have some relatives visiting Visiting in Brussels who don't speak English or French, I can really send them over when they have some half a day free to learn more and really understand it in, in, in Slovak, um, in my case. What would you donate as an object, as a Brit Czechoslovak family? What a fantastic question. Off the top of my head, uh, my driver's license, I had to hand over my British driver's license. Uh, maybe some British... Can't you have kept it? No. Uh, you could have lost it. Yeah, it gets tricky. Honesty is the best policy. So my driver's license, I have British currency um, that I don't use. I have a lot of Czech crowns hanging around from when we make this trip uh, to Pilsen in Czechia. A photo of one of my children. This is one of the interesting things people don't talk about. Euro babies, that when you have so many people from different... The European... international couples. Right, exactly. You could call them EU babies in a way because uh, they've, they've occurred because people have come together in Brussels. Now, my last question is, what would be your message? It takes an investment to study and reflect, obviously, both on the past and future of the EU. You said that if we've shared the history, we can also co-create the future. So what do you think we can do more and, and what is the message that we can pass to our audience so that all of us kind of start engaging more in the communication about the European past and future and the mission of the whole project? Where are we going? Where have we come from? What would you like to see in the future? What would you like the country 
where you live to, to look like 10, 20, 30 years from now? How can you help that? How can you help achieve that? Uh, these are big questions that need exploring. What links us? What's, what commonalities do we have between us? Because we do. We have a shared past. So I, I want people to get curious, to change their perspectives on what it means to be European. Thank you very much for this interview. And I hope that if anybody from our audience visits us after this podcast, they will let us know and they can go and uh, meet you for coffee and, and check out the museum together with you. Certainly. Thanks. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!